And I've been asking you guys some questions about the end of every week. You don't have to answer me, but I'm going to ask you this question. You answer it for yourself. Have you been asking those questions and seeking God? And the, question, and the answer is, if you have, you're going to be in a different place now than where you were two months ago, almost when we started this. If you're not, we got them online. If you want to sit down and talk about it, I'll sit down and talk with you, but we've got to ask those questions. We've got to ask them honestly of ourselves, and then we've got to let the Lord do his work. Remember I told you, it's one thing to identify the problem. It's a whole other thing to seek out the solution, and it's even something more to apply it, right? Get a water leak in your house, you realize, okay, water's in the floor. I know what the problem is. I got a drip. Beep, beep. Then I got to seek out the solution for that. And then I actually got to do it. Otherwise, the problem remains the same. Simple enough. And so we've been spending our weeks here, we're going over this of overcomers. Charlie, you've been getting them online okay, buddy? Thank you. Does anybody listen to them? Do you know? Not really? That's what I thought. Because see, what we're given today is important stuff, and there is nothing over this last two months that should take us away from hearing it. How badly do we want to grow in God? That's the question. It's that simple. We're making it available to you, and you can call me. I'll sit down and talk it to you. Do we really want to know? I told you this wasn't going to be an easy journey. I told you this journey was going to be difficult at times. We're going to have to face ourselves. We're going to have to realize God is talking to us. He's talking to you, Bobby, and everybody else in here. He is talking to you. You're still breathing. He's still fixing you. He's still molding you. He's still making you who he wants you to be. He's still molding Ken. He's really working on Ken through all this. He is wanting us to be who he called us to be. And we're to be a church that has power. We're to be a church that has power that when people are seeking truth, they'll know to seek one of us out or maybe come into our church. But God will lead them. He's the one that leads them. See, no man comes to the Father except through Jesus. And they ain't coming through Jesus unless... The Father draws them. When truth is flying around, when truth is becoming reality in our lives, then we become prepared to be ministers. Okay? And you are ministers, by the way. Did you know that? Your little light shines. We're supposed to. So we all have that to do. Man, I'll tell you what, it is some kind of hot up in here. And I am content. I didn't mean to say that. I am content. But we're going to do some work this morning. If you've been missing the messages, and I'm telling you now, stuff I'm going to talk about today and from here on out is only going to be partially coming in. You see, there was one thing that the disciples did in the early church that what happened that changed and turned their world upside down, what was it? 
preach the word. When preaching the word becomes the least of our concern as a body of believers, we're getting away from the truth. We're getting away from what it is that God wants to do. That's why I put the time in. That's why I want us to have what we want, need. I want, that's why I seek God and say, Lord, where are we going? What are we doing? What do you want me to give? Many times when he tells me, I'm like, I don't want to do that. But the minute that I don't do what he says is the minute I've become God and he has become second. Right? Christ first. And so I'm like, oh, man, this has been my friend for 20 years and they're going to get mad at me. And he says, what good is that? You see, we have to be able to give that truth. So I know this has been sobering for us. I promise you, if we will let the Lord come in and do in our lives, by the end of this thing, we'll be shouting. We will be shouting because we will be free. You remember the day you got saved? How happy you were? You was going to tell the whole world? You remember that? I'm going to let everybody know about Jesus. You showed up at work and they started telling you, all oh, this ain't going to last. I know you. Some of you have been doing this for 30, 40 years and you never went back, did you? And you still need to be shouting. We need to be letting people know what Jesus can do for us. We need to be happy about that. We need to know that salvation is a very important thing. It's the most important decision a person will make in their lives is allowing Jesus to be Lord and Savior and receiving what he has for you. All the other stuff in this world doesn't count. It really doesn't matter. They can be tools. People can be tools. Things can be tools. But are we letting people know about Jesus? And when we walk with him and follow him, we also know that there are going to be some trials we're going to go through. We're going to look at all that here in a minute. But we're going to be working in uh, 1 Samuel 13 and 1 Samuel 30, so you guys will know. Last Sunday night, we talked about two different aspects of idolatry. What did I tell you about idolatry? Who's the big, what are, who or what is the biggest idol you will face? You. You decide whether God's in charge or whether his word means something or not. You can blame others if you follow them. You can blame others, but you know what? You're going to stand before God someday, and he's going to say, I talked with you. And so this truth that we're getting, the biggest idol that we will face is ourselves. And last Sunday night, we talked about two different aspects of idolatry. Stubbornness and covetousness. Anybody know anything about stubbornness? Many times we take pride in it. We, we talk about our ancestors. Because that bunch of people are known to have this in them. And, we're, and I'm just like my daddy. I'm just like my grandpa. And we say it and stomp our foot with pride because we don't want to give it up. And God says, you know what, if I'm going to be Lord of your life, that's got to go. Stubbornness and covetousness, they are two different things, but folks, they work very, 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 very closely together. They walk hand in hand. They're like a husband and wife. They're like a team of assassins. They work hand in hand and they are looking to assassinate us. They're looking to take us out. Understanding how they work will help us to understand the thing that weakens us as believers. Anybody feel stronger than you did? Anybody been facing something and you feel weak? 
these messages have been for us. We talked uh, last Sunday night about Saul, and he was not content to abide in the will of God. And that got him susceptible to covetousness, to, being co to coveting. And that's when he was going against the Amalekites. We saw that last week. But that wasn't his first error. His first error happened with the Philistines in 1 Samuel 13 and 6. Is where we're going to read from. That was the first time that he had the problem with this. And it says, When the Israelites saw that their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and in pits and cisterns. You see, that's what happens whenever you get scared. That's what happens when a situation is not the way you want it. You may feel that it's a critical mass, but we get to the place that we start to hide. Verse 7, some of the Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul remained in Gilgal, and all his troops with him were quaking with fear. Brothers and sisters, fear is not supposed to have a place in our lives. I don't care what the psychologists say, the PhDs say. According to the Bible, we're not to have the fear. We're supposed to have the respect. I don't fear a snake, I respect a snake. Give me a gun or a hoe and I'll take care of him before he takes care of me. But I'm not afraid of him. If I was afraid of him, then I wouldn't even go near him with a hoe. That's too close. I'd get somebody else to do it. You understand what I'm talking about? How many of you don't like spiders? Yeah, a spider comes in the house. I don't care if you've got a 200-pound shoe, you won't go after him. You get him. You do it. Because fear overcomes us, right? Ain't that what happens? Oh, he's going to feed on some milk now. He ain't just old enough to feed on the word yet, so he's going to get him some milk. But they were quaking with fear, verse 8. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. Folks, what happened with them is they were waiting for something that Samuel had said. Saul had a problem, and the men were looking around, and they see this army, and they're like, oh, no, this is not good. They didn't trust God. They, they was trusting in themselves, and they're like, oh, no. So what did they do? They went A-W-O-L. Eddie, what's that mean? You've been in the army. Absent without leave. They went AWOL. They just took off. It says here that they scattered. So he said, this is what Saul said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings, and Saul offered up the burnt offering. Well, isn't that something God tells them to do, right? What's wrong with that? Anybody know? What's wrong with what happened just now? He wasn't qualified. That had to be done by a prophet or a priest. See, you got to do it God's way. You don't get to come up with your own way and make it look religious. You got to do it how God says to do it. Remember, I've been telling you probably for six, eight months now, we have to do the book. And so he did it by himself. Let's go on to verse 10. And just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived. And Saul went out to greet him. Now you notice that. He had just finished it. He said to wait for seven days. 
He couldn't wait for the end of the time of that seven days because he did the offering and then Samuel arrived. See, he was impatient. He knew what needed to be done and he figured, well, I can go ahead and do it. But then Samuel arrived. Verse 11, what have you done? asked Samuel. Saul replied, when I saw that the men were scattering and that you, were not, that you did not come at the set time and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. How many times have you talked to people and they see something that might not be real, they don't have all the facts? And where does that lead them to? I saw, and then they started thinking. You see, friends, whenever you start building facts on things that you have to make up and fill in the blanks, you don't have facts at all. You have a shaky foundation. So he saw, and then he thought. How many times have you talked to people about Bible stuff and different things and they well, I, I think, I think this, I think that. Well, they even go to the place of, I believe. But if it doesn't add up with what's in here, then it's stinking thinking, right? I thought. What was the next step he took? Then I felt, I felt compelled. To do what? To do a religious act. He went to do a religious act. That was supposed to be done. It just wasn't supposed to be him doing it. It was supposed to happen at that time. God don't mess up, does he? Samuel showed up when he was supposed to show up. We're going to see that here in a minute. And I pray that this will help us. I saw, I thought, and I felt. Wow. And he says to him in verse 13, You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command. The Lord your God gave you. If you had. Now look, there's a consequence when we don't keep God's command. He would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. Do you see that? All he had to do was listen. All he had to do was follow the Lord, but he didn't. He couldn't. There was something going on inside of this man. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Two times he's letting him know, you know, everything gets established, right? Two or three witnesses. Well, two times right here in two verses, there's the establishment. You did not keep the command of the Lord your God. Therefore, this that's coming, you brought on yourself. You had to listen to God. And that's why we have to look at who the idol is that we worship. It is number one, uno, uno, numero. Numero uno. Did I say that right or wrong? Amadi's shaking her head. She got it. She understands. But he saw, he thought, and he felt. You see, what, what Saul did were actions of insecurity and discontentment. Let me ask you a question. Are you discontent today? What he did also conveyed to those that were around him hmm, that it's okay to disobey God if the situation warrants it. 
You see, if we do the things that are disobedient to God, just because the situation was really bad, we're teaching everybody that sees us, everybody that's around us, everybody that is in our circle of influence, it's okay to disobey God if things are bad enough. That's what he did, right? He had followers, and when he was the leader, that's what happened. You remember last week I told you he was blaming everybody for what was going on. Samuel said, oh, no, you're the leader. That's your deal, buddy. You see, when you show, when you act those ways, then it shows people, well, it's okay. They're either ignorant enough or too lazy to look it up themselves and see what the Word of God says, so they listen to what somebody else tells them. Or they watch them and see what they do. Therefore, we establish our religion. It's in the Word of God. And that's it, period. And I think what's happened in our churches and in our nation is people have gotten away from the Word of God. We want what we want. When we want it. Yesterday. Don't we? A microwave society. We want it now. And Jesus, you remember, he went to the fellow's place called Lazarus. You know, remember he died and they sent, sent word to him? Jesus didn't get up and go right then. He did what the Father wanted to be done. We know now about the story. That is exactly what God wanted done. And he shows up and his closest friends are now ready to stone him. They're mad at him. They're upset. If you'd have just been here, he wouldn't have died. They didn't even know who he was. He had the power to raise him up and showed it. You see, we have to make sure we stay in cahoots or in, in, in sync with God. Cahoots ain't the right word. Charlie, erase that one if you can. Cahoots. <laughs> but you see, doing that kind of thing is false, and it's false teaching if we teach it. We can't do that. We're not allowed to do that. Otherwise, we're making up a God who ain't real. You see, Saul wanted everything and everyone around him under his control. He wanted relief from the pressure that he was under. That's why he acted the way he acted. And his discontentment drove him to covet the peace he desired, not what God desired. I want peace. And now I'm going to take these actions. Rather than waiting on God, he took it into his own hands. Why did he do it? Because he was discontent. And it led him to the place of covetousness. You see, there's a truth in all of this that we all have to come to grips with. In serving God, we will often encounter adversity, hardship, and tribulation. Jesus himself even said it. Go to John chapter, uh, John chapter uh, 16, verse 33. Matter of fact, Jesus guarantees it. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. See, your peace only comes in Jesus. The world can give some kind of peace that doesn't last. Anybody ever walked on that road? I have. You get a big check or get a new car, you know, you're just happy and all of a sudden you can conquer the world. You go out and cut 80 truckloads of wood a week because you're feeling so good. It doesn't last. It doesn't last. He guarantees it. Look at this. I have told you these things so that you may have so that in me you may have peace, in this world you will have trouble. Call it a promise if you want. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to rescue you from the trouble. He said, in this world you will have trouble. Get ready for it. If you just got out of a battle, there's another one coming. In this world you will have trouble. 
Hang on to that. Know that. Embrace it. Be content because Jesus said, in this world you will have what? Trouble. Tribulation. Yes, either one. Mean the same thing. See, adversity locates the strength of our faith. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, God's testing, he's trying to see how strong you are. How many of you know that's a false statement? Let me see your hands. Oh, well, good, I'm giving you something you don't know yet. You don't go through adversity so that God can see where you're, I mean, so that you, God can see where you're at. He already knows. The adversity you're going through is so you can see where you're at. She got it. Help me teach it. God don't need to see where yet. He already knows. Don't he know the beginning from the end? He knows your walk. He knows what's coming up tomorrow. He knows what you're going to face. He knows what adversity is lying in your path ahead. And he allows it. So that you'll learn where your peace comes from and your peace comes from him. The test ain't so God can find out what you're about. He already knows. There's not a thought you ain't had he don't know about. There's not nothing you did out behind the barn that he don't know about, nobody else does. He knows. He's with you when you're in your car. He's with you when you're on the mountaintop. He's with you when you're in the valley. He's with you when you're in the tree stand, Brother Eddie. And by the way, he's in those thoughts. He already knows. Isn't that wonderful to know? We don't have to hide nothing. Now we don't have to act because he knows. We jump behind bushes and do all kinds of things and we split, you know, clean the house up and put on our Sunday best when somebody's coming to see us. Why? Because that's what we've been taught in our culture. And it's a pride thing. It's that simple. Oh, they're going to think this about me. Whoop-de-doo. What matters is what God thinks about you. It doesn't matter what other people think. Not when it comes to stuff like that. Not when it comes to superficial things. Am I right or wrong on this? Y'all let me know. I need some feedback here. Am I just talking to be talking? Do y'all get it? Do you understand? It doesn't matter. What matters is what God thinks. You might think I should drive a Chevrolet. Well, I'll drive a Ford. Don't fall out over it. And you can apply that to anything you want to apply it to. You see, when we go through these things and then adversity comes that's bigger than us, and trust me, folks, it will come. God will see to it. It's so that we can get to the place of receiving a, the greater reward of faith. Are you in trouble? Are you in a perilous time right now? God's building your faith. He didn't rescue you from it. And many times we see, we think, we, we feel, and we get out of God's will. And God said, no, you're exactly where I want you because when we get through this, you're going to have a greater faith. He's going to get the glory. That particular kind of thing is not going to make you trip again because you're going to overcome it. It's so we can have greater faith. David is another fellow. That's the guy after his own heart that he established kingdom with. He faced something even worse. Now here David is. He's got 600 of his only friends or best friends left in this world. These guys are being hunted by Saul, who what? We know Saul's got some issues, right? God's done kind of turned him over to that reprobate mind we talked about last week. He'll call right wrong and wrong right. He's blinded to the truth. 
He's at the place now. He's killing and murdering people. He's going after David. He don't like David. David's going to take his spot. You see, his spot ain't about Jesus or God anymore. His spot's about him. And he feels, if I kill this fellow, I'll be able to get rid of him. So here David is. He's, he's, he's got Saul and his army chasing him. Do you realize and understand how long it was? Fourteen years. Fourteen years. They return to Ziglag. They find out that their families are gone and everything is burned. It's all been destroyed. Now I can hear most of us, maybe even, maybe even David, he might even have these thoughts. He didn't act on them if he did. The Bible doesn't say he did. But can you imagine this question? How long will this last? Or what about this question? What good is it to serve God? I've been dealing with this for 14 years. Most of us, we get in trouble for three days. And sometimes we're ready to just hang it up. What about a problem that lasts for three months? That's pretty extensive, isn't it? And we think about hanging it up. We start questioning God. We start wondering. Sometimes we take things into our own hands and get out of the will of God. Oh, what about if it went on for three years? What about if it's going on for seven years? It's a long time to endure something, isn't it? But David, for 14 years, 14 years he had this man and his army chasing him, and they're having to hide everywhere. They're having to do all these things. You see, David and his men, what happened to them? You know, Saul, he only lasted a week. It only took him one week to go ahead and take matters into his own hands, and it cost him dearly. Brothers and sisters, if you are discontent, you better wait on God. You better wait on God. I'll go a little bit deeper here in a minute on that. David and his men, they wept until their strength was gone. Many of us would think, boy, that's the last straw. I couldn't deal with that. I couldn't go through that. But wait, there's more. It's almost like a commercial. But wait, there's more. In 1 Samuel verse 30 and, and uh, uh, chapter 30 and verse 6, says, David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in his spirit because of his sons and daughters. You thought Saul had trouble. You think you got trouble. Wait till you're, you're the man that God has called. He's, you're the man after his own heart. Now you've been chased by this ruler that God has put you under. And he's trying to kill you. And you're out doing the best you can following the Lord. And all of a sudden, another thing lands. And now your best friends in the world are ready to kill you. And they're bitter in their spirits. Bitter in their spirits and ready to kill you. We can do the same thing today. We may not take a gun and blow somebody's head off, but we can sure kill somebody with this thing right here, can't we? Destroy their character, destroy their reputation, destroy even their motives. We can do that. But this is the guy God chose. Why would you attack the one he chose for you? You wanted a king. He gave you a king. The king 
wasn't all that big with God. He took stuff into his own hands because it was about him. He liked the, he liked the stature. He, he liked all of that. But this is the guy God has stuck you with. This is the one who's the man after his own heart. And for 14 years, you've been fighting battles and hiding out. And now because it didn't work out how you wanted it to work out, you're ready to kill him. Isn't that a bad place to be? For 14 years. See, Saul's crisis, his men went AWOL. He felt alone and in desperate need of affirmation and respect and honor. And he sought it out by compromising God's word. He was feeding his flesh. You understand that? He was feeding his flesh. He was supposed to wait for Samuel, but he didn't. David's men wanted to kill him. Hmm. Look at his response. In verse 6, we'll finish the rest of verse 6 out. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Then David said to Abathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. Abathar brought it to him. And David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, he answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. You see, David didn't say what good is it to serve God. That's not what he did. He didn't say that God was the reason that he's in the place he's in. He didn't blame God for it. He didn't take matters into his own hands. He chose to be content. He chose to remain content and to ask God first. That's the difference. That's the difference in who he is. You see, God's deliverance or his provision will always come, folks. You belong to Jesus, I'm going to tell you now, his deliverance will always come. He will always provide. But there's one caveat. There will always be an opportunity to disobey God before it comes. Remember Jesus was in the wilderness? The Spirit drove him there, right? God wanted him in the wilderness. And he fasted for 40 days. Did he fast because there was no food or did he fast because he was going on a fast? The Bible won't tell us, but he fasted for 40 days. But just before the angels come to minister to him, what happened? The devil came to him and gave him three opportunities to disobey God. You're sitting in a place of discontentment, I promise you this. The devil will come and God will wait for you to have the opportunity to disobey him. And if you disobey him, you'll go over in the river where Saul was. Saul was so bad, he even at the end of the book, he goes to the place, instead of calling on God, he's, he's going to a witch. Conjures up Samuel's spirit. Y'all remember reading that? That stuff is real, don't play with it. It's in the Bible, it happened. Don't play with it. That's where you can go whenever you start disobeying God. And that's exactly... What happened with Saul when we look at his life? We may go a little deeper later on with that. But that's what happened. He, he didn't trust God enough. You see, staying in a place of contentment keeps us from seeking our own provision and our own promotion. Can't get out of God's will. You remember that Saul, talked, we talked about him in the Amalekites, right? Last week. Let me ask you a question. Why did he spare Agog? Agag, contrary to what God had told him. He told him to kill everybody, right? Wipe out everything. Did he do it? 
No, he didn't. Why? You see, in those days, if you went and conquered a city and you took, a, took the king and the army, well, man, didn't you have power when you walked back into the city and you got this guy with chain in chains and he's now submitted to you? You see, Agag was a living trophy for him. The provisions that he brought back, it showed the people, hey, look, I can take care of you. It was all about him. He always needed to be affirmed in his leadership role. He always, he sought that. He sought that kind of approval from people, not so much from God. That's why he went the wrong way. That was his problem. That's what happened to him. And you see, folks, if you've prayed and God's put you somewhere or doing something in your life, and now adversity is sitting in your lap, don't see, don't think, and don't feel God's telling me to do something different. You better make sure what God's telling you to do because you're facing something so your faith can grow. When it's time, he will take and do whatever he's going to with you. But see, when you step out of the will of God, when you step out of the will of God, you step also out of his protection. You understand that? I got some friends, Miss Whitty talked to some friends this week. And the church that they attended about 10 or 11 years ago, they got hurt. They got hurt because things didn't happen the way they wanted it to happen. And they got hurt. It didn't take long for them to get to the place then that they quit going to that church. They tried some other places, some other things, but nothing just never would satisfy them. And it took the devil 10 years or 11 years to get them to the place of what he was actually shooting for in the beginning. And that was that they would split up. You understand what I'm talking about? You get outside of the will of God, you get outside of the protection of God. And I trust me when I say this. There's a devil out there that hates you, and he wants you, and he wants your wife and your, your, your husband, and he wants your children. If you don't have children yet, he wants them when they get here, if they come. That's what he wants to do. Get out of his will, because we're feeding our flesh. You get out of his protection, and he does nothing for it. Sometimes we've got to go through some bad stuff to be able to see, don't we? It don't have to be that way, but that can happen. So if you're dealing with discontentment now, make sure what you're hearing, make sure you're hearing from God. How do you know if you're hearing from God? If you've got discontentment sitting in your heart, you may have to have a conversation with somebody. And tell what Matthew 18 says? You can't get around it. You can't undo it. That's the only way. That's the only path that will lead to the place you need to go. Why are you in that place? God knew what was there. He allowed it to come so he can get you through it. And when you get through it and do it his way, you're going to have greater faith. And what the Bible teaches is we're going to have this greater faith. And I'm almost done. You see, covetous, covetousness will lead to stubbornness which will lead to disobedience to God's word. Saul, he just wasn't content with God's will. Folks, it's becoming clear to us now that an idol becomes a source of something for us by fulfilling our covetous desires. And this can happen in any area of our life. An idol takes the place that God deserves to have. That's what an idol does. 
It can provide happiness, comfort, peace, provision, respect, authority, and so forth. But Leviticus 26 and 1 says, make no idols for yourselves. You shall not make no idols for yourselves. You see, we are the ones that make the idol. And it's not always made with stone and wood and precious metals. The power of the idol lies within our heart. We're the ones that created it. And it does what we tell it to do. If we create a Jesus that is not exactly with everything that's in here, then it's a false Jesus. It's a false religion. And therefore, we had get ourselves off. And then if we start thinking, and if we start feeling, and we start seeing things, well, the Bible told us we learned last week that we'll be, not be able to see, right? We'll call evil good and good evil. We won't even be able to see clearly. If we start doing it with a false truth or a partial truth, then we don't even know who God is, and then we make our religion up on it. The, the power of it lies within our hearts. You understand that? And by taking idolatry and dumbing it down to figurines and idols and temples and altars, it keeps us from seeing these crucial things in Scripture, these warnings that God has given us. That's what this is all about. I want you to look at some images. Can somebody cut the lights down? This won't take long. You see, the basic element of idolatry is when you draw strength from or give strength to something or someone other than God. That satisfaction could be a person. It could be a possession. It could be an activity. I'm not saying those things are. They could be. And friend, if you're sitting here at this moment feeling the un un unbearable urge to try to explain, defend, any of these things, images you just saw, it's a good possibility God's wanting to have a talk with you because he's trying to show you an idol in your life. Couldn't put everybody up there, couldn't do all this. It was to bring the point across. You can worship people and they can tell you anything and you will believe it. And you can worship things and that's what motivates you to go through your life. But anything that comes between God takes the place that he deserves in your life is an idol. You can come to church 500 Sundays a year. There's not that many. The point being, you can be in church every day of the year plus a bunch more. It doesn't matter. Is he Lord or not? You see, we face all kinds of situations. And that's exactly what the devil wants us to do. Remember, folks, stubbornness is idolatry. Covetousness is idolatry. And they both will cloud your vision from being able to see what God's truth is. Remember we said last year, they believe a lie rather than the truth. I will turn them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are unseemly. You see, whenever we get to that place, we're able, because of our lustful desires, to explain away anything. Maybe not to the world, but the one that counts, we do it to ourselves. We do it to ourselves. Idolatry, simply put, 
is humanity putting aside what God clearly wants in order to satisfy our cravings or desires contrary to what he wishes. Idolatry for a believer is known disobedience to the will of God. See, when you learn it, now we don't have an excuse. When it's taught, now we don't have an excuse. Too many pulpits today are not teaching these kinds of messages because it will run people off. They want to feel good. They don't want to sit down and have that conversation that's going to be the fruit, the very piece of gold that they need in their lives that's going to turn them around. They won't want to hear that. They won't have the conversation and they will remove themselves so they don't have to. And that's what happens. And when you get out from under God's protection, you better know the devil's coming. And he's coming hard. See, what we judge to be important, we will possess it or do whatever, no matter what it takes to get it, regardless of what God has to say about it. We get ourselves into a place that we get in trouble and then that's at the time that God will send a messenger, a pastor or a friend who loves us enough to give us truth. Loves us enough to give us truth because anything other than truth comes from Satan. I'm going to ask you again as we get ready to pray, give us some music to pray by because I want everybody to be able to pray. I'm going to ask you again, are you discontent? Be careful with it, because it will lead you away from God's will. We sing songs to worship. That's not really all there is to worship. We can give our money, our tithes, our giving, and that is a form of worship. But the mainest one that we can do, the best one we can do, the only one that really counts because the others will fall into it is obedience to God. That's the best worship you'll ever do. Let's pray.